So we're continuing our series through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And last week we saw the prideful king Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and he trusted in the one true God. Now this week we're going to continue in chapter 5, which roughly takes place 25 years after chapter 4. So 25 years later. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you a little thumbnail of the historical account, the extra biblical historical account of actually what happened in the 25 years before this account that we're going to get into. So in 562 BC, Nebuchadnezzar died and the throne was taken over by his son, Amel Marduk. And he was a bad king, and he only reigned for two years, and his brother-in-law, Naraglesser, assassinated him. He took over for six years. He was an acceptable king, but he died of natural causes. His son, Labashi Marduk, took over, and he was a bad king. He only lasted about two months, and he was assassinated by a Babylonian, fact, Babylonian faction that was led by a noble named Nabonidus. He became the king. Nabonidus became the king and reigned for the duration of the Babylonian rule. And that was from 556 to 539 BC. But King Nabonidus, he worshiped the moon god. The moon god's name was Sin. If you're going to go pick a god, okay, that's not a good one to pick. So the moon god's name was Sin. He worshiped that moon god. He was at odds with the Babylonian priests because they worshiped a god named Marduk. Probably due to this tension, Nabonidus was most of the time away from Babylon for much of his reign. So what he did was he appointed his son to rule as king. His son's name was Belshazzar. This is where we pick up in Daniel. It says this, King Belshazzar, he was called king because he was appointed king by his dad. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So King Belshazzar throws a rager and all the boys are there, okay? He starts drinking and gets drunk and he decides, I have an idea. Let's get all the vessels of gold and silver that my, it was actually his grandfather, and I'm going to explain that, that King Nebuchadnezzar, when they laid siege and took the Jewish people into captivity, you remember that? So they took the Jewish people into captivity, went into the holy temple, and got all these vessels, and they brought them to Babylon. So apparently they were still there, so he had an idea. Hey, let's get all the cool stuff and drink out of it. And here's what happens. So then they brought in the, the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So now here's what's happening. This is not just the act of, hey, let's break out the fine china and have something cool to drink out of. This is actually flat out mockery of the one true God. That's what's going on here. It's flat out mockery of the one true God. Let's use these vessels and worship 
and worship the gods, our gods, of, of, of stone and wood and gold. Let's worship those gods. These were the vessels that the Jewish people used for the one true God in worship and sacrifice. So the king knows this is offensive. And he does this in pride and in mockery. Let's see what happens next. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace out opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Now, this is the ultimate party stopper, right? I mean, like, scratch the record, right? The root, okay? Everything's good. We see this response. We see this response. It's like he saw a ghost. He lost control of his bodily functions. The King James Version actually says his loins loosened, which in our language would be he had a potty accident, okay? <laughs> he was afraid. He was afraid. Obviously, at this point, he wanted to know, what in the world's going on? Fingers of a hand appeared and wrote this on the wall. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans. Remember, that was the priestly class in Babylon. And the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So now he's willing to reward anyone that could explain this to him. Notice he said, if they do, they'll be the third in charge. Remember his, his, his father, King Nabonidus, is technically first. He's second. So he's saying, this guy, whoever tells me what's going on here, he's going to be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So because no one could explain what's going on, he got a little more frightened, a little more worried. So we go on. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. So now the queen needs some clarification here because the queen is actually not Belshazzar's wife. The queen is actually Belshazzar's mother. So the queen was married to the king, Nabonidus. He was away, but the queen was still there. So most believe that this queen, the identity of the queen, was actually Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So mom comes in and offers a suggestion. And it's not, make sure your friends clean up after they go home, before they go home. Okay, she has a suggestion for Belshazzar. She says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. 
Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Remember that? He changed him, his name to honor one of their gods. He says, now let Daniel, or she says, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So here we have the queen comes. She reminds her son of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and Daniel, remember, interpreted the dreams. She obviously speaks very highly of Daniel and how he was someone who had some kind of divine powers. The spirit of the gods rested on him. So there's a few things I want to deal with here. The first is, why does she call Nebuchadnezzar his father? The reasons probably there was no Hebrew or Chaldee word for grandfather because Nebuchadnezzar was actually his grandfather. So they didn't call it your father's father. They just said your father. The other issue I want to deal with is, didn't Belshazzar know about what happened with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, you know, now he's ruling. You know, it was his grandfather. Wouldn't he know this? It's only 25 years. I mean, wouldn't this kid know what's going on? Well, I would suggest, of course, he would know. But some of the reasons why he probably did not think of Daniel at this time is one is maybe in his fear, he just forgot. Maybe in his fear, he just forgot. It just totally slipped his mind that Daniel was even in existence. Or the other is this, and this is probably more likely. He didn't worship the one true God. He was actually mocking the one true God. So he didn't value Daniel. He didn't value what Daniel said or anything that Daniel did because he didn't worship the God that Daniel worshiped. So it would almost be like if you had a problem or an issue and you're like, oh, who should I go to? Oh, I'm going to find the local rabbi or I'm going to find the local of some other religion that you don't subscribe to, that you don't believe in, and you're going to go get guidance and advice from them. No, you wouldn't do that. He was sticking with his own. He's like, these are our gods. These are our enchanters. These are our astrologers. These are the guys that are going to tell me what's going on. And these are the guys that are going to give me guidance. So mom comes in and says, I think Daniel's the guy. Okay, I think Daniel's going to be the guy. So let's go on and see what happens. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellence of wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So now Daniel says, hey, listen, I will do it. Keep your rewards. I'm going to do this. And here is the sole reason why I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because you, O king, need to know what's going on here. You need to know what you did. You need to know what God's saying. I don't care about your rewards. I don't care about being elevated. I don't care about any of those things. You need to know what's going on here. 
So then Daniel goes on. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he kill and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. So like we learned over the past weeks, God made Nebuchadnezzar king. God rose Nebuchadnezzar up. He made him this powerful man in the kingdom. So then Daniel says, but his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He brought down from his he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Now Nebuchadnezzar as we learned fell to the sin of pride and God humbled him. We dealt with this last week, but next we see Daniel retells it again. So let's look. It says he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Now, before I go on, here's what I want to do. I want to stop and look at our first lesson that we can take from this. The first lesson that we can take from this is learn from the past mistakes and sins of others. What did Daniel say to Belshazzar after he recounted? He says, you knew all this. You knew that your grandfather, the king, was a proud man that did whatever he wanted. God raised him up, and then he used it for his own glory. You knew this. You knew that he was humbled. He acted like a beast. And then he finally came to his senses and realized who God was. But you, in your pride, decide to mock the one true God. You knew all this. Why didn't you learn? Why didn't you learn from the past mistakes and sins of your grandfather? A better question is this. Not to say that I have a better question than Daniel did, okay? A better question might be, why did he ignore it? Or for us today, why do we ignore the past mistakes and sins of other people and not learn from them. So as I was thinking about, you know, why do we ignore this stuff? When, when, when we see somebody do something sinful and things just fall apart and things don't go well, why do we continue and repeat what they do? Or why do we act like them and not learn from them? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first is this. We think nothing bad will happen to me. If you're younger, okay, you better listen up because this is a thought pattern, especially of young men for some reason, okay? Especially of young men. When you're younger, a lot of times you think, I'm invincible. That type of stuff is not going to happen to me. That type of stuff happens to other people. I'm smarter, I'm better, I'm more crafty. Sometimes you fall into that trap. It's not localized to just younger people, though. Some of you are still living like that. You're thinking, that's not going to happen to me. Nothing bad will happen to me. How could that 
possibly happen to me, right? (laughs) Nothing bad will happen to me. The second is this. I need to learn from my own experiences. Have you heard this one? I need to learn from my own experiences. Oh, you will, okay? (laughs) You will, trust me. The third is this. I don't listen to anyone's advice or guidance. In pride, we might say, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and it doesn't matter who tells me that it's a bad idea. Let me just tell you this. God has placed people in your life, namely parents and godly leaders and other healthy role models, that you need to listen to. You need to listen to. No matter what age group you are in right now, you need to listen to the godly advice and wisdom of other people. You need to listen to people that have made mistakes and learned from those mistakes and now are trying to help communicate with you. Because guess what? They want to save you from the pain. They want to help you. You know, me in my life, I always kind of try to look at the generation above mine to see. You know, right now I have two college kids and one high school kid. So the next generation above me are the empty nesters, right? Rejoice, empty nesters. So here's the thing. So I try to listen to what they have to say. You know, if you're raising little toddlers and stuff, you need to look at the people that are raising kids that are going into middle school and going into high school. What did you do when your kids were toddlers? That's the importance of a generational church. That's why we have a generational church, because you're here to help the next generation. But next generation, whatever generation you're in, you're next to something, right? So here's the thing. You need to listen to the advice and the guidance of the people that went before you, because if you don't, you will repeat their past mistakes. You will repeat their sins because we're all prideful, right? We all think, oh, nothing bad's going to happen, or I need to learn on my own experience, or I don't really listen to anybody but myself. So it seems like at this point, in fear, Belshazzar did listen to his mom, right? He called in Daniel. He did reach out to Daniel. He listened to what Daniel's saying, But I think it's pretty clear that all the years before, he was just doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and he did not listen to godly counsel. How do I know this? Let's go on. But you have lifted up yourself, this is still Daniel speaking, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all your ways you have not honored. So here's what he says. He says, hey, listen, you lived like this. You honored gods that have no senses. You know why these gods have no senses? Because they're not real, okay? People made them up, and you decided, you know what? I'm not going to listen to or honor 
the God that actually put breath in my lungs, who made all my ways, who actually is in charge. Which brings us to the next lesson that we learned from this account, and that is God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. What does mocking God mean? It's disrespecting, dishonoring, denying, or ignoring the existence of God. You know anybody like that? You might know some people like that. But maybe you're not the one who's denying or ignoring the existence of God. You're just disrespecting and dishonoring God. So you're a little bit better, right? You're a little bit better. You're disrespecting, you're dishonoring. Or you know what? You might know what the right thing to do is, but you're just deciding to do what you feel like doing. You're mocking God. And God will not be mocked. From our scripture reading this morning, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. That's obviously a farming term, sowing the seed, reaping the harvest. See, when we decide to sin against God, we need to know the outcomes are not going to be good. The outcomes are not going to be good. We will reap what we have sown. You may get away with it for a while, and, that, and that's dangerous, right, when you get away from it for a while. Like, I heard Pastor Mike talking about church, and, and they said, you know, you're, you're going to reap what you sow, but I've been doing some bad stuff, <laughs> and I'm not getting in trouble yet, so I'm going to keep going. Let me just warn you right now, you got to stop. you got to stop going down, because you're going to reap what you have sown, because God will not be mocked. And we can never say we were not warned. So here we come to the climax of the account, the writing and the interpretation of Daniel. Then from his presence, and this is still Daniel talking, he says, then from his presence, God's presence, the hand was sent. And the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Meanie, meanie, tekel, parson. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. This is exactly how they were. The writing was most likely in Aramaic, which begs the question, why could no one besides Daniel even read this? And it's probably because of a few reasons. One, it was probably a bunch of consonants strung together in script. So when they were looking at it, it would be almost like you looking at a section of the alphabet a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, B. And somebody said, what does that say? You'd be like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, yeah. You wouldn't know what the message is. You wouldn't know how it was strung together. But really, second is the most important point of why everybody else couldn't read it. It was designed to be read and interpreted by Daniel. This is all to bring God glory, right? So it was designed to be read and interpreted by Daniel. So this is the interpretation of the matter. Many, many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, you have, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So here it is. Because of the ways that you dishonored God, the days of your kingdom are coming to an end. But then he says this, Tekel, 
you have fallen short. You have been found wanting. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know what? This is a great springboard and a reminder of us how we're weighed in the balances and we're all found wanting. This it points to the deep need that each person, including Belshazzar, has for salvation. We're weighed in the balances and we're found wanting, meaning this, we all fall short of the perfect requirement of God. That means we're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to live sinless. And guess what? Anybody here? Anyone? Anyone? If you raise your hand, I'll be like pride. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. We're all found wanting. The scriptures say we all fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the truth is this, that we have a Savior who when he saw that we were weighing in the balance and we were all falling short, he stepped in because he was perfect. He was willing to die in our place for our sins. He stretched out his arm on that cross and was crucified for all of us to pay for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. It's a step of us setting aside our pride and putting our trust in Jesus's death and resurrection. We've all fallen short. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. This is crazy. This is what I love about Daniel because now, remember chapter two? Remember I showed this? That statue? Head of gold was Babylon, right? Chest of arms and silver? Medo-Persia. The kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Here it's happening right here in the scripture. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. They're going to come and take over. So this brings us to the third and final lesson, though, that we need to learn from this. We need to yield to the writing on the wall. Now, people sometimes say this phrase, right? It's like more of an old, old school type phrase. We know the writing on the wall. And you know what they're saying when they say that. They mean that we all know what's going to happen when that person or you do that. We see the writing on the wall. We all know what's going to happen when you take that road. Or we all see what's going to happen when you invest in that. We all see what's going to We know the writing on the wall. That's the statement. But we need to realize that poor or sinful choices or decisions will have consequences and should make us stop or at least yield to the writing on the wall. We need to realize that. So then we have to ask ourselves this question. What is the writing on the wall for us? What's the writing on the wall for you and I? Well, I'll tell you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to know what God's writing on the wall to you? He already wrote it in a book, and he gave it to you. And he said, his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word is what gives us guidance. God's word gives us guidance. It's our handbook for living. Not only that, it has words of comfort. It tells us about things to come, which the exciting part is we're going to get into more of that as we continue to study Daniel. God's word is the writing on the wall for you and I to tell us what we should and should not do. 
let me just appeal to you. As a believer, you need to have a steady diet of God's word, meaning you need to be in God's word every day, whether it's picking up one of those daily breads on the way out and it's got the little story and then the scripture where you go to, whether it's getting on your YouVersion Bible app and listening, you need to be on a steady diet of God's word because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be faced with decisions, situations, and things in life, and you're going to be like, what do I do? But when you have a steady diet of God's word, it just comes out of you. You know what to do when something catastrophic happens in your life. You know what to do when you have to make difficult decisions. You know what to do when things are going well. You know what to do when things are going terribly because you're on a steady diet of God's word. But here's the problem. When you're not, you kind of don't know what to do. And then when the thing happens, maybe you'll make a bad, rash decision right away. Or maybe you'll go and ask somebody else, what do I do? Okay, And because you don't have a steady diet in God's word, chances are you probably don't have people around you that you love and respect that are godly. Maybe you've even you know, surrounded yourself with a bunch of people that don't know God, don't care, and then you ask them for their advice. And then basically that's just like asking somebody outside the faith, what would you do in this situation? Well, I'd punch them, okay? What would you do in this situation? Well, I'd you know, be deceitful on my taxes. What would you do in this situation? I'd do that. They'll give you bad advice. And guess what? Remember, we reap what we sow. Think about this for a second. Do you know when we do not yield, the word actually tells us what will happen. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. It says this, Because you hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. You know what this is saying? Hey, listen, do you want to know what the consequences are when you don't listen to God? It's right here. You're going to eat the fruit of what you've done. You're going to get the consequences. You're going to reap destruction. Things are not going to go well. Do you know there are plenty of warnings in the scriptures about the consequences of sin? So what do we do? We learn them. The book of Proverbs is a father teaching his son. Some of you read this. It's a father teaching his son. The father represents God. The son represents us. The father's saying, hey, do this, 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 hey, do this. And the son's like, oh, okay. So where the son, where the kid? And he's saying, do this, and this will be the result. But if you do this, this is going to be the result. It's the godly parent looking out for the godly child, or God the father looking out for the children that he loves. So we need to yield to the writing on the wall, which is God's word. So what does Belshazzar do? He hears all this. He gets it. Everything, you know, Daniel's saying, he's, he interpreted. So what does Belshazzar do? And I would love to be able to say, he's like, you're right, Daniel. Here's, what, here's exactly what happens. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler 
in the kingdom. Well, that's nice, right? That's nice. I mean, remember, Daniel didn't even want that. Daniel didn't want that, but we'll see in chapter 6 how this actually is part of God's plan and it elevates Daniel to a place where the Medes and the Persians actually respect him, so it all kind of goes together. But think about this. Think about this. Interestingly enough, there's silence from Daniel. He doesn't speak another word in the entire chapter. Why? I mean, I'm not sure, but here's the response. At this point, Belshazzar should have fell on his face and begged for forgiveness and turned from his evil ways. But he didn't. Oh, here's your team. Okay, Here's your cloak. He's third in the kingdom. All he basically did was be a man of his word. I told that that was going to be the reward. Here's the reward. He does not show any remorse. He does not change. And you might be thinking, well, maybe he does. Maybe he does. And I'm going to tell you, he doesn't, okay? And here's how I know. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. He was killed that very night. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That's what happens. That's the end. It's, it's not a lifetime story. Right? It's not a lifetime story. It's, he didn't really listen. And then... He gets killed. No remorse. He reaped the exact consequences that, Dan that that finger from God wrote on the wall and Daniel interpreted. 